starting at uh, chapter 1, or verse 1 of chapter 25. Now three days after Festus had arrived in the province, he went up to Jerusalem from Caesarea. And the chief priests and the principal men of the Jews laid out their case against Paul. And they urged him, asking as a favor against Paul, that he be summoned, that he summon him in Jerusalem. Because they were planning to ambush to kill him on the way. Festus replied that Paul was being kept in Caesarea and that he himself intended to go there shortly. So, he said, let the men of authority among you go down with me and if there is anything wrong with about wrong about the man let them bring charges against him after he stayed among them not more than eight or ten days he went down to Caesarea and the next day he took his case on the tribunal and ordered Paul to be brought when he had arrived the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him bringing many and serious charges against him and they could not that they could not prove Paul argued in his defense, neither against the law of the Jews, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar have I committed any offense. But Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, said to Paul, do you wish to go up to Jerusalem and there be tried on these charges before me? And Paul said, am I standing before Caesar's tribunal where I ought to be tried? To the Jews I have done no wrong, as you yourselves know. Know very well. If I am a wrongdoer and I have committed anything for which I deserve to die, I do not seek to escape death. But if there is something to their charges against me, no one can give me up to them. I appeal to Caesar. Then Festus, when he had conferred with his counsel, answered, To Caesar you have appealed, to Caesar you shall go. This is the word of the Lord. So here's the reality. As Christians, whether we like it or not, we will face circumstances. And often these circumstances can be faced, that we face, are either extremely frustrating or they can be extremely fruitful for the Lord. It all depends on how we handle them. If we see things only from a human perspective, we will grow impatient and we'll grow frustrated and we'll begin to think, what a tremendous waste of time. Why am I going through this? If it's only from a human perspective that we see things, we will grow impatient. We will grow bitter and we'll grow frustrated. But if we see things as the sovereign hand of God orchestrating all of our circumstances according to his plan, then we can rest in him, knowing that he will work all these things together for good according to his purpose. The Apostle Paul in this section of Scripture had, by all human rights, he had every right to be extremely frustrated while he waited in Caesarea, right? For two years he was locked up like like a prisoner, Felix knew he was innocent, but he kept him in in prison, just waiting and hoping to get a bribe. But Paul never gave him the bribe that he was hoping for. So Paul, when he was recalled to Rome, he just left, left him there in prison, hoping to gain some political capital. Felix's successor, 
Festus was a more upright ruler, according to Josephus, one of the, the Roman historians, said he was a more upright man. He was a man of action, and he had barely arrived in the, in the capital of Caesarea before he went on to Jerusalem to familiar, familiarize himself there, to catch up on what was really going on in his province. And there, Paul's Jewish opponents laid out all the charges. They were hoping to finally put an end to this guy. This is it. Let's be done with this man. Maybe Festus will make it happen. Their real intent was to resurrect their foiled plan from two years ago to have Paul assassinated. They were hoping to finally put an end to this all. But Festus was not going to allow the Jews to have the upper hand on him by telling him what he must do. So he said, you must come up to Caesarea. You must represent your case. And when Paul was standing before the this, this same angry accusers again, who had tried to execute him two years ago, he could have easily become frustrated. Are you serious, God? Again? I'm doing this again? Many of us, if we go through a problem, we're very happy if it's a one and done, right? Man, if I could just get through this problem once, okay, as long as I don't have to revisit this, okay, I learned my lesson. But here is Paul again, having to represent his case by this very same accusers again, after spending a good two years in prison. He could have grown impatient and thought, this will never end. When can I get on to the more important task of bringing the good news of Jesus Christ to places where he has not yet been named? When can I get on to share the good news to the Gentiles? This is a waste of time. But Paul didn't grow impatient. He didn't grow frustrated. Instead, what did he do? He calmly defended himself before the governor and this same angry group of Jews. As the trial progressed, Festus could quickly see that there was no need to send him back to Jerusalem. So he, he said, it is going to stay here. It is going to stay here. Paul could, have, could see that the trial, if he was going to be moved to Jerusalem, if he ever got there, could be his demise. Through this all, God was sovereignly working his plan to get him to Rome. God was working all these things together for his plan. To understand these, the spiritual perspective of these events, you've got to read them in light of, of Acts chapter 9, where the Lord predicted to Paul, listen, he is my chosen instrument. He's my chosen instrument to bear my name before the Gentiles, the kings, and the sons of Israel. The beautiful thing here is that it happened. He was able to, Paul was able to be his instrument before kings. King Agrippa was later another person that he was going to be sharing the good news of Jesus Christ, defending his faith. He was able to, to share the good news before Gentiles and also before the sons of Israel. Paul bared witness before all three. But we also have to be able to look at Acts chapter 23 verse 11. The other perspective that God said, as you have been my witness in Jerusalem, so you must also be my, bear witness of me in Rome. 
Paul is God's chosen instrument. And God's work is not yet done. God was at work with these potentially frustrating circumstances and repeated charges to fulfill his purpose for Paul. We're going to see this morning, this is going to be our theme. God protects his servants from the forces of evil and uses us according to his sovereign purposes. God protects and uses us to accomplish his purposes. The reality is, we're going to see first that Satan, Satan arranges his forces against those who serve the Lord. Satan, the enemy of our soul, is not passive. He's not passive when a faithful servant of the Lord presents the gospel, who seeks to present the gospel. Whenever God's people desire to share the good news and they are actively doing that, Satan doesn't just sit back. He doesn't just wait and just say, ah, well, let's see what happens here. Here we can see that Satan brings two forces against Paul. He brings the Jews who are militantly hostile. And he brings about Festus, who is seemingly benign, but potentially lethal. Neither enemy is a problem for God. Neither. Because God has a greater purpose. The Jews, we can see, just have this tremendously hard and fallen heart. These were religious leaders for God's chosen nation. They were the only people on earth who had received God's covenant promises and who were able to read his revelation in scriptures. They knew the history of the nation, how God called Abraham, how God had preserved Abraham's descendants for four long centuries in Egypt and how he protected them and brought them out of Egypt. They knew how God had protected Israel in the, in the desert, in the wilderness and wandering. They knew the promises of God that he would restore them in the land. And they had access to God's presence through the temple in worship. Yet despite all their knowledge, despite all their privileges, in spite of all of their experiences, they killed God's anointed one, whom God sent to save their sins. And now their intent was murdering Paul's God's chosen servant, an instrument to the Gentiles who was doing no wrong. These men were stubborn. They were refusing to listen. Hard, hard hearts. We have Festus who was an evil tool of Satan in a totally different way. He was more positive and he was more subtle. He seems to want to be a decent ruler and he wasn't willing to have Paul turned over to his enemies without a trial. But Festus's problem was he was a people pleaser at the expense of doing what he knew was right. He was a people pleaser. So we have two different types of people. Satan is desiring if it's going to be in subtle ways or if it's going to be overt ways. Satan does not sit back and passively wait. He arranges his people to accomplish his purpose. And the sad thing is, I know a number of evangelical pastors who compromise the hard truths of Scripture in order to be popular, in order to win an audience. They know that the Bible 
thunders against sin. But if you tell people that, some may be offended. So they play it down. They know that the Bible threatens a terrible, eternal punishment called hell for those who reject Christ. But that's not a popular truth. So we're going to soften that. People don't like to come to church so that they can be told that there is a real hell with real consequences. People love to come to church to be uplifted and warmed and told you are a good person. So often they skirt around the heart of the gospel in order to gain favor with people. Unwittingly, like Festus, they are often the more dangerous enemy of the gospel than those who are militantly opposed to Christ. The application of this is that if you are serving the Lord in any capacity, which we all are, expect that Satan will oppose you. It will happen. Whether it be open hostility or subtle compromises, both are equally destructive. Secondly, we're going to see that God often works. How does he work? He often works behind the scenes to protect his servants according to his purpose. Often God works behind the scenes. If we had to face Satan's frightening forces in our own strength or in our own wisdom, we would absolutely despair. We would be on the rocks and we would be in utter disarray. But thankfully, thank God, he surrounds his servants, protecting them until it is time to call them home. Our text reveals two ways that God protects us. God protects his people through his providential power and directing those who are even opposing him. We've seen God's providential hand at work in protecting Paul against the plot against his life. But here we see it again. Even though God isn't overtly seen, he is covertly at work orchestrating all these circumstances to accomplish his sovereign purposes through the gospel. God used Paul's love for people and his strong desire to unify the Gentile and the Jewish wings of the church to bring him to Jerusalem. He used the Jerusalem church leaders, misguided as they have may, may have been, to get Paul into the temple. He brought uh, these Jews from Asia who brought about a riot just at the right time to spot Paul and to stir up this riot. He used Lysias, the commander, to rescue Paul. He used Paul's nephew to share the plot to kill him. He used a self-seeking scoundrel of, of Felix to put the Jews at bay for two years. And now he is using this inexperienced Festus to get him to where? Rome. From a human standpoint, all these events would seem like a comedy of errors. Are you serious? Now this? Now this? Are you, again? And now two years in prison? Another one? Serious? But from God's standpoint, God was, was working all these things together for, for Paul according to his purpose. 
so that ultimately God would be glorified through the gospel before the Gentiles, before the kings, and before the Jewish people. He was working to bring his apostle to Rome where, C where Caesar's household could quite possibly hear the gospel, even Caesar himself. The key for applying this to your life is to view your circumstances however seemingly frustrated, how confusing they may be from God's sovereign, providential perspective. Not from a human perspective. From Paul's perspective, he was hemmed in. He was restricted. He could go nowhere. He had not planned these events in his personal three-year goals, nor was he a prime mover in bringing them about to pass. But from God's perspective, God was setting up Paul for witnessing opportunities of a lifetime before kings, before rulers, before Caesar's household to preach the gospel to some of the most influential people in the world. Often the greatest opportunities, hear this, often the most the greatest opportunities for ministry that God gives us come from disguised as frustrated or confusing circumstances. Hear that. Sometimes the best opportunities that you have to be sharing the good news of Jesus Christ is in the midst of these frustrating or confusing or painful circumstances when we seem to be restricted from achieving our goals or seem to be restricted from sharing the gospel, it's in those circumstances where God says, oh, just watch. You foolish person, you think that you are hemmed in? I'm about ready to explode something. Sit back and watch. If we... Be view these circumstances from a human perspective, we're just going to say, man, we just have a tremendous amount of bad luck. I, again, bad luck. Please don't ever use those phrases in front of me. There's no such thing as bad luck. If we have that perspective that we have bad luck, what are we going to do? We are going to grumble and grumble and complain in discouragement and just miss an opportunity for ministry. But if we submit to God's mighty hand, God's providential sovereign hand, where he's ruling over all things, he can use it in such a way that he alone gets all the glory. We can also see that God protects, God protects his people through human government, which God ordains. God ordained human government to protect those who do right and to punish those who do evil. Even though human governments are run by self-serving men like Felix, Festus, and Nero, and we can list all those in Illinois as well, God still uses them for his purpose. God still uses them for his purposes. He commands us to submit ourselves to such governments and their laws, unless, of course, the government demands that we do something that violates God's commands. We see here, 
that Paul, as he was defending himself, he def- his defense here shows that it's not wrong for, Christ- for a Christian leader to defend his innocence, to use the courts for his good. Paul was not silent. He stood up and plainly and calmly defended himself. You even see in the book of Acts and you see in Galatians and 2 Corinthians where he defends his ministry. Satan tries to discredit the gospel by slandering those who preach the gospel. There is no virtue and, no da- and much damage to the cause of the gospel if a man allows false charges to come up against him and slander to stand without defending himself or any explanation. Paul defended himself and to the point that he even used government. What did he say in verse, verse 12? He, uh, I'm sorry, in verse 11. Listen, I do not seek to escape death. It almost sounds like, man, if there is a, a death penalty, I, I'm not looking to escape that in any way. If there's a death penalty and I've done something wrong, give me death. But... If there is nothing to their charges against me, no one can give me up to them. So what do I do? I'm appealing to Caesar. I am using what God has put into place, the government that God has given, and I'm using it. I appeal to Caesar. And what did Festus say? To Caesar you have appealed. To Caesar you shall go. God even uses government. As broken as it may be, God uses government to protect his servants. So let me just give you some four brief, just practical lessons. One, we have a clear conscience if we have a clear conscience then we can know that God is for us in spite of the slander in spite of the opposition around us if we have a clear conscience we can know that God is for us now hear me say this is not a name it claim it this is not a man God is for me. There's nothing can stand in my way. I am going to forge my own path. No, we are still under the mighty hand of God. And his ways are higher than our ways. Paul maintained a blameless conscience before God and before men. He knew that he had not committed any offense against the law of the the Jews or committed any laws of offense against the temple and that he had not had, had not committed any uh, offense to the, Jew, uh, the Roman law. Therefore, he could state calmly the truth and know that God was his shield and God was his defender. The glory goes to God, not to me, but I know firsthand that the peace that comes from a, a clear conscience when you are under attack, if you can calmly say, you know what? In this difficult situation, I have a clear conscience about how I am handling it. It's according to the word of God. It is best for the church. 
we will act this way. And if slander comes against me, this comes against me, I will stand. I have a clear conscience. Paul, as Paul puts it this way in, in Romans 8. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his son, but gave him up for us all. How could he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. If you have a clear conscience, know that in spite of everything, God is for you. In spite of everything. Secondly, the practical lesson is that if we know the sovereign God, and I'm not talking about like from this nice, safe distance. I'm talking about intimately know. If we know the sovereign God, then we can trust him to defend and protect us according to his purpose. If we have a deep, intimate knowledge, a deep, intimate relationship with him, we can trust him. question is, do you know him? Often throughout the Old Testament, in the, uh, you, you're going to see this, uh, the way we are to know God is often used with this uh, verbiage, as a man knows his wife. Hopefully a man knows his wife better than from a distance. How does a man know his wife? Deeply intimately, sexually, in deep, caring kind of ways. In the same way, we are to deeply know our God. And the more that you know somebody, and the more that you get to know them in deeper ways, the more you can trust them. Isn't it not true? Maybe some of you have experienced that in some of your relationships. The more that you know a person, the more that you share the, the layers of, of hiding are coming off layer by layer, layer by layer, the more you can deeply trust in that person to care for you, to protect you, to defend you. The same is true with our God. The doctrine of God's sovereignty is not just a point for theological debate. It is a, a precious reality. A precious reality that brings great comfort for any believer. It is the most comforting truth that the sovereign God is orchestrating all circumstances in our lives, no matter how frustrating, frustrating, no matter how confusing they are, we can trust him. In the midst of these fr seemingly frustrating and confusing and painful circumstances, we can trust him. We can trust him to work all 
these trials in our lives together for the good of us because we love Him and we're called according to His purpose. Sometimes, if you've ever seen um, somebody putting together a beautiful uh, rug, you know, we, we often walk on the top of them and there's just these beautiful ornamental rugs, right? And you just look at that and it's just, wow, the hours and the beauty of these rugs. Go downtown Chicago and look in some of these rug stores. I know it sounds odd. It's not exactly the most touristy thing to do. But look at some of these rugs that they have, they have put together. Then look at the backside. A bunch of knots tied together. Nothing beautiful about the back of a rug. But on the other side, it is absolutely gorgeous. And that's how God is. He's the master weaver of our lives. He's weaving all these things together. And in the midst of them, we may not understand how they're all working together. But do we trust the master weaver who's pulling all these things together to be this flawless, beautiful piece of work? Ephesians says that we are his craftsmanship. He is working all these things together. Last, number three. If we have personally received mercy at the cross, then we should view every circumstance. How many? Every. Every circumstance, no matter how frustrating, as an opportunity to proclaim God's mercy to others. If Paul had been focusing on his circumstances, he would have thought, not this again. How long do I have to put up with these same enemies and these same false charges? How long? And if he would have been focusing on that, he would have missed the opportunity to bear witness to Christ. If we put our focus on our frustrating circumstances, we will miss the opportunity to tell others of our great Savior and of the mercy that he offers sinners at the cross. This is difficult. It is far easier for me to just, in the midst of my pain, in the midst of my sorrow, in the midst of my frustration, in the midst of all these confusing things that are going on, to bury myself in them and just wallow about in them, right? You do the same thing. Cry about this. This is just awful. And, and your friends just go, how are we ever going to bring him or her out of this? They're in just such terrible depression and such pain. And I'm not trying to belittle the pain that you go through. The question is, how do we view them? If you have received mercy from Christ, then in the midst of it all, no matter how painful, no matter how confusing, it is an opportunity for you to point people to the cross.
Lastly, last practical lesson. If we follow the Savior who laid down His life for us, then we should be ready, willing, and able to pay the price of our commitment to Him. Paul did not account his life as dear to himself. It was not something that he coveted, but all he wanted to do was finish the course. He wanted to finish the course and to solemnly testify to the gospel of the grace of God. That's all that he wanted to do. But you might think, but if I compromise the truth, it would... It could cost the company a lot of, if I don't compromise the truth, it could cost the company a lot of money and it could, it could cause me to lose my job. Which is more important? A job? Or to hear? Well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. So our life presents us with many temptations to compromise our commitment to Christ. If we stand firm for Him, even if it means imprisonment, even if it means death, we can know that His protective hand is upon us and that He will use it every time for His glory according to his purposes. Every time. Let's pray. Father God, it's easy for us to lose focus in the midst of frustration. It's easy for me to get caught up and tangled up in, in circumstances and get caught up in the pain or the confusion or, or even in my pride and my, my plans and to quickly forget that you have all things working together all things Father God I don't know what everyone is going through this morning but Lord may we deeply embrace that you are good may we deeply embrace that this world is not out of control because you are in control. You have not just spun things into motion and just sit back idly. No, you, you are holding all things together. And if you let go for an instant, all things fall apart. God, may we rest in your care. May we rest in your provisions of grace and mercy that are new every morning. 
And Lord, I thank you for this body. Brothers and sisters in Christ who are messy, whose lives are absolute shambles at times. But God, I thank you that you have brought together sinners who are saved by grace, who are living honest lives before you and each other, who are desiring to grow up into Christ, to trust Christ in all things. So God, as we progress throughout this week, may we trust you more. May we use every circumstance to point to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.